Well, you can keep your Bibles open there at John chapter 11 as we come to study God's Word together now. And on Friday evening, as we began looking at this passage, we considered the theme of a great sorrow. And this morning, looking more particularly at Jesus' words in verses 25 to 27, uh, we consider this great revelation, this statement from Jesus, this latest I am statement. In 2016, the talented actor and comedian Gene Wilder died at the age of 83. He was maybe best known for playing the title role in the 1971 film Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Uh, Among the tributes paid to Wilder, another actor, Jim Carrey, said, If there's a heaven, Gene has a golden ticket. If there's a heaven. And, And that's quite typical, really, of the sort of nice sentiments, the the well-meaning statements, the inoffensive things that people tend to say at moments of of shock and death. But those words show us, do they not, that the world doesn't really know what to say oftentimes when confronted with death. Perhaps at best, death is explained away as a natural or inevitable part of life. Even though that doesn't make any sense, death is... The opposite of life. Death has nothing to do with life. And as I mentioned on Friday evening, it's not a natural part of life. Death is the most unnatural thing in our world. Our world and our our lives were not originally intended to just decay away. And we considered at our preparation service on Friday night the great sorrow that death causes. That it's the great intruder in all of our lives. And what we all need more than anything is a way to be free of that looming threat, the curse of death. And so with that in mind, isn't it wonderful to read the words of the Lord Jesus in John 11 verse 25. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Those words are not empty sentiment. That wasn't Jesus just trying to find something nice to say in a difficult moment of grief. This is a a great revelation. Jesus revealing something about himself in this time of great sorrow. And indeed what he he reveals to us here is, is in many ways you could say the heart of our faith for those who follow Jesus. That in the face of death we believe that Jesus offers everlasting life. I want to think about these words that Jesus uttered uh, just under to make three observations about them. Uh, First of all, Jesus' words provide comfort but also challenge. Jesus' words provide comfort but also challenge. Doesn't it tell us something about the, the love of Christ for his friends and for his followers that so many of the most important things that he said They come when he is speaking personally and tenderly to people he loves. When Jesus says here, I am the resurrection and the life, he's not standing in a classroom. Uh, He's not just speaking to a bunch of theological students, really keen academics. He's speaking to a close friend as she mourns the loss of her brother. Martha is a believer in the Lord Jesus. That is absolutely beyond doubt. She has firm and strong faith. But Martha's faith also needs to grow. 
And it needs to be challenged even in the midst of grief. And that becomes very clear as we look carefully at the interactions between Martha and Jesus in these verses. The first thing she says to Jesus when he arrives in verse 21. Uh, and, and no doubt there was great emotion in her. She's, she's in the midst of grief and mourning. Uh, but she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 21. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And, and it's almost like Martha doesn't quite know what to ask of Jesus. She sort of says, whatever, whatever you want to do or whatever you think is best, that, that, that will happen. God will do it for you. But, but there's, there's a, a limit to her faith here. Martha believed that Jesus was the Son of God. She believed he was powerful and able to help. But she thinks that it's too late for him to help this side of Lazarus' death. If you had been here before Lazarus had died, then everything would have been okay. But it's too late now. In verse 25, Jesus makes his great revelation to Martha. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And notice he then asks Martha a challenging question. Do you believe this, he says. And she replies in verse 27, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Now that is a terrific expression of faith from Martha. That, that statement is, is to be commended. She's to be commended for that strength of conviction and faith. And in the original language there, when she says, I believe, it has the sense of, of a settled conviction. That Martha has come to this conviction. Uh, she, she is firm in it. It is long settled in her mind. She is committed to what she believes. But nonetheless, her faith has limits. Look what happens when Jesus commands in verse 39 that the stone covering Lazarus' tomb be rolled away. Martha intervenes. She says, Lord, by this time there will be an odour for he has been dead four days. That doesn't really suggest that Martha expects a miracle to come here. Jesus says to her in reply in verse 40, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Jesus is challenging Martha here in love, as a friend, as her saviour, but challenging her nonetheless. He, he wants her faith to strengthen. He wants her to, to reach out and, and grasp hold of this great revelation that he has made. Can't say I've ever done a huge amount of rock climbing, but from what I see or understand of it, a um, big part of rock climbing is you need to find firm footholds. If you want to reach up, swing up your arm or your leg to a higher point, you need to, have, you need to be firm where you are. You need a, a firm foothold before you can reach higher. And Martha has a firm foothold in her faith here, but she hasn't yet reached for that higher ground, we might say. And you could say as well that Jesus hasn't arrived in Bethany just for Lazarus. He's come for Martha as well. He's come to comfort Martha, but he's come to challenge her and to see her faith strengthened. He wants her to take that next step to see and to understand more of who he is and what he has come to do. And so friends, it's to Martha, a believer, that Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. He's, 
He wants Martha to realize that the resurrection is not just a future event. That resurrection, the power of resurrection is in Christ. He is the resurrection. He is the one who has power over death. I am that new life Jesus is saying to her. And so even though your brother is in that tomb, he can walk out alive because I am here and I am the resurrection and the life. Well, maybe like Martha, you you know some of the most vital and wonderful things there are to know about Jesus Christ. You don't just know them, you have have faith in him. But perhaps, even as, as we saw a few weeks ago with Abram, perhaps there is room in your life for that faith to be further stretched and challenged. Perhaps like Martha, at times we we don't even mean to perhaps, but we unwittingly limit Jesus in our thinking. We limit his power and authority to certain situations or problems. I can rely on him for this, but not for that. He's able to help me here, but not there. Martha assumed that Jesus couldn't do anything for her. He couldn't help at a graveside. Where do you assume that Jesus can't help you? Boys and girls, do you think Jesus doesn't hear or see what goes on in the corridors and classrooms of your school? That he can't help you with what goes on there? He does see those things. He can help you there. Men and women, do we assume that once we've entered into our place of employment on a Monday morning that Jesus can no longer help us, that he doesn't care as much about what goes on there as what goes on here on the Lord's day. Those of us in spiritual leadership in the church, do we leave Christ out of the spiritual and practical work that we undertake? It sounds ridiculous to say that or to, to think that could happen and yet how easily Christ gets left out of the decisions made in his church Is there some problem in your life, dear friend, and you assume Jesus isn't interested or can't help or won't forgive? Or are you even today facing the prospect of death someday, not believing that Christ can do anything about that? Jesus speaks lovingly to you, comforting to you as he spoke to Martha and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. There's no situation in your life that he doesn't care about. And indeed, when it comes to your greatest need, your greatest enemy, death itself, Jesus has power even over death. And as we approach the Lord's table today and remember his offered body and shed blood, Jesus reminds us that he is able to help and he is mighty to save in any and every situation we find ourselves in. So Jesus' words provide comfort and also challenge. Secondly, Jesus' words reveal a remarkable truth. Jesus' words reveal a remarkable truth. The first thing Jesus says to Martha is, I am the resurrection, verse 25. And and then he, he explains a little bit more what he means by that when he says, Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. So whoever believes in me, Jesus says, yes, they will physically die one day. But through faith in me, they will rise from physical death on the last day. Martha had a belief in that last day, that that resurrection day still to come. And Jesus says that it's through faith in him that that resurrection will come about. 
that's the case for those of us uh, who have loved ones today who have gone on to glory. That through faith their souls are with Christ and they're waiting for Jesus to resurrect their bodies. They're in a, a different state of existence now. Their bodies are in the ground but their, their souls are with Christ. And Jesus' words to Martha emphasise that it's through personal union with Christ. If we are in Christ and he is in us that one day our bodies will rise again from the dead and be united to our souls. So he says, I am the resurrection, that Jesus Christ can physically raise us from the dead, raise our bodies from the dead. But Jesus also says to Martha that he is the life, the life. And he explains that a little further in verse 26 when he says, everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Now, what does he mean by that? We've just heard him say, That he is the resurrection, that those who die, yet shall they live. And then he says, whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And we think, well, how do we square those things up? What does he mean when he says, everyone who believes in me shall never die? Well, he's speaking here, friends, again, we considered it briefly on Friday evening, but he's speaking of our spiritual resurrection, which has already taken place if you're a believer this morning. Paul says in Ephesians 2 verse 1, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, spiritually dead though physically alive. But if you're a Christian, you've already been raised from the dead, spiritually speaking. You've been born again. The Holy Spirit has placed new life in you. You have a new heart with new desires to love and worship and serve God. You're not the person you used to be. That old man, that old person is dead. And a new person is alive in you forever. And having come alive, that that person will never die again. Some of us struggle to understand this because we've been Christians for maybe our whole lives or or as long as we can remember. uh, Which which might mean that we, we haven't seen any kind of a dramatic sudden transformation in our lives. We've grown up knowing the, the scriptures. We've grown up attending worship. And at some point we professed faith and became members of the church. But for someone who is saved later in life, maybe after many years of living in total rebellion against God or or in some kind of obvious rebellious sin, when they become a Christian, there are drastic changes to their lives. There, There can be no mistake. There can be no debate about it. There is a new person there. What once was dead has now come alive. But whether you've been a Christian for as long as you can remember or you became a Christian later in life, friends, it's the same for both. What once was dead has now come alive. And that soul that is redeemed, that soul that has been uh, regenerated, that spirit that has been made new, it will never die. Yes, our physical bodies will die. So Jesus says, uh, whoever dies, yet shall he live. Our physical bodies will die. Yes, outwardly we are wasting away, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.16. But he says inwardly, we have been been and we are being renewed day by day. We are alive and we will remain alive forever. And so what better comfort is there in this world full of death, this world full of suffering, than to hear Jesus say, I am the resurrection and the life.
I mentioned on Friday the importance of the word in that Jesus uses there. Uh, Whoever believes in me shall never die. And in the original you could easily have translated into. That if you believe in Jesus Christ. If you have had your sins taken away by him at his crucifixion. You are in him. You have entered into him. He has entered into you spiritually speaking. The resurrection and the life are in you. And will never be taken away from you. Paul says in Galatians 2.20. It is no longer I who live. But Christ. The resurrection. The life. Who lives in me. A multimillionaire doesn't have the best life. If they have it without Christ. An adored athlete or movie superstar. Doesn't have the best life. If they have it without Christ. You will never have your best life now. Without Christ. Because no matter what we achieve. No matter our possessions. No matter our bank balance. No matter our prestige or respect. Death takes it all away. But Jesus is life. He is the resurrection. And life in him begins now. If you, if you cry out in repentance and faith to Jesus Christ. You begin to experience resurrection life. We're still waiting for it in its fullness. We're still waiting for that physical resurrection. But your soul has already been raised to new life. And so Jesus can say, everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Sickness can't end resurrection life. Any kind of suffering cannot end resurrection life. Even physical death can't end resurrection life. In fact, physical death only ushers us into a new phase of life. As our souls made perfect go to be with Christ. And to wait by his side in heaven for that physical resurrection still to come. And so friends, as we come shortly to the Lord's table, it reminds us and points us towards these things. It reminds us of our union with Christ. That as we take bread and wine into our bodies, that as it were, they become united with us. It's a picture for us of how we are united with Christ. We come to the table to commune with the one who is our life, who holds, who is our resurrection. We can remind ourselves that the life we have with him via the the sacrifice of his body and blood, that life will never end. So Jesus' words provide comfort and also challenge. Jesus' words reveal a great truth. And thirdly and finally, Jesus' words and actions glorify God. Jesus' words and actions in this passage glorify God. Notice what Jesus said to his disciples as soon as they heard about Lazarus' illness. John 11 verse 4. Jesus says, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Notice as well what he says to Martha in verse 40. Verse 40. Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see what? The glory of God. And then in verse 42 he gives thanks to God. And he says that he is doing all of this publicly. He's praying out loud so that the people standing around. May believe that you sent me. Verse 42. 
We considered this briefly on Friday, but Jesus' motivation in everything that he says and does here is to glorify his Father. And so when he finally utters those miraculous words in verse 43, Lazarus, come out. Everyone knows that he is the Son of God, acting for the glory of God and in obedience to God. And notice, by the way, the the degree of authority that Jesus has. All he has to say is, Lazarus, come out. And the original could just be, Lazarus, here. Lazarus, outside. (coughs) And with those two or three simple words, a dead man is no longer dead, but alive. And several commentators in John take great delight in pointing out that Jesus had to name Lazarus. He had to say, Lazarus, come out. Because otherwise all the, all the dead bodies in that graveyard would have come out. That's the authority of Jesus Christ over death. The giver of life and the victor over death. Some of us parents or teachers would love it if it just took two words to get our children to do exactly what we want immediately. Jesus Christ with two words can cause the dead to come alive. And the crowd see it. And they heard Jesus' prayer. And they know that his chief concern here is that God be glorified. That the men and women around see and believe. That Jesus is the one sent by the Father. Working according to the Father's plan. Demonstrating the love of the Father for sinners. The word glory there, Jesus talks about wanting to glorify the Father. The word glory can sometimes sound a bit vague and a bit theoretical to us. We we hear that word used a lot perhaps in the course of uh, prayers, Bible reading, preaching. The word glory really means a weightiness. The significance or importance that someone or something holds. And so when we talk about someone getting the glory, we're saying that they're, they're getting a, a weight of, of recognition. They're getting a, a weight of words spoken about them or, or good attributed to them that they deserve. They're getting a, a more than ordinary degree of, uh, of, of attention or of praise or of uh, respect given to them for whatever it is that they've achieved or whoever it is that they are. In our culture, that tends to be celebrities. The world's most celebrated film stars will be gathering, I think it's this evening, and getting glory in the Oscars award ceremonies for their work in film. People will be celebrating their talent and gushing over what they've done and what they've achieved. Friends, no one deserves more praise, more glory than God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The one who planned our salvation. The one who sent the Son. Through him the the world was created. And who has authority even over death itself. And Jesus here in his humanity gives God the glory. He doesn't speak these words or do this miracle to show off. To impress anyone in, in in a sort of a superficial sense. Jesus does what he does here to prompt men and women around him to worship God, to revere God, to trust in God, to repent of sin and put their faith in the one who is the resurrection and the life. To whom do you give the glory? Who or what do you revere? Who or what 
get your time. Who or what is your spouse most likely to hear you getting excited about? Who or what do you daydream about or make time for? Jesus' great revelation here, his great miracle, raising Lazarus from the dead. Friends, the purpose of them was to move us and prompt us and motivate us to worship and glorify God. Who can do so much more for us than any celebrity or our favourite team or our favourite holiday destination. He deserves our worship. The one who can conquer even death itself and give us life. And as we close, just notice Jesus' question again to Martha at the end of verse 26. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The resurrection made personal and tangible. To believe in life after death, he says, is to believe in me. The question Jesus asked to Martha is the question he asks of you and I today. Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that he is exactly what you need today? Jesus has proven to us that he can meet all our needs, not just by raising Lazarus, but by raising the dead, by rising from the dead himself. Jesus' resurrection was even greater than Lazarus' resurrection. We'll think more about why a little bit later on. But part of what I mean by that is that Lazarus had to die again someday. It's a strange and and sort of a sad thought, isn't it? That this man rose from the dead, but he died again. He's, He's not with us on the earth anymore. His body succumbed again to death. Jesus died and rose and will never die again. And he has risen in a more glorious body than the body that Lazarus rose in in John 11. Jesus has risen in that glorious resurrection body that is now impervious to the slightest cut, never mind to death itself. And the Bible is very clear, friends, that Jesus' resurrection is a guarantee of our resurrection. That the way in which Jesus rose is the way in which we will rise. Paul calls it in 1 Corinthians 15, calls Jesus' resurrection the first fruits of the first little part of a far greater resurrection still to come. In other words, our resurrection, the resurrection of millions, countless people who have put their faith in Christ. And so let me ask you again what Jesus asked Martha. Do you believe this? Do you believe this great revelation from Jesus today? I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever, who, everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Amen.